The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above Rise all. up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the uh, Bible as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. Sorry, I'm getting tickled uh, at the play on words there, Salt. <laughs> You're going to eat bacon, breakfast sausage, and link, steak, eggs. <laughs> all these things. Uh, I'm sorry. I just thought that was I thought that was funny. Thank you for the smiles. Uh, if you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. And there's two videos there. The one on the left side 
is Bradley's show from yesterday afternoon. If you'd like to watch that, click on it and play it. It'll be available up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, Eastern Time, at which time he will be live in that little area. And then on the right side of the page is where we are. Just click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, there'll be a Rumble icon. You can click on that and join us in the Rumble chat over there as well. Also, we are streaming live to Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's where you want to subscribe to, uh, the channel you want to subscribe to on Rumble. And then also, before it's news.com, top of the page there, dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. And then also, uh, the various public and private pages that I have on Facebook that they continue to allow me to have for who knows how long, but they're there, and uh, you can catch us on that. But always on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, if you can't find us somewhere, right there is where we'll be, okay? So you don't have to say, well, where do I find you? Where do I find you? SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. It's not hard to it's not hard to remember, but I, I realize everybody's got things going on. But I would think, boy, most people listening to the show every day would get that right there because, yeah, it comes up so often. Anyway, right right up under where we're uh, streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter, and you get that once a day, uh, sometime near the end of the day, seven to eight o'clock Eastern uh, is when it usually goes out, and then um, uh, if you want our ministry email, head over to sonsoflibertyradio.com. And you can sign up for that right on the front page. That's once a week, okay? And that's exclusive content there. Um, now, if you would like to help us stay out doing what we're doing, there is a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. That link is also at the top of the page. And our store is available also. Uh, this week we're highlighting, uh, again, Bradley's My War comic book novel. The Testimony of Bradley Dean, done by former DC Comics artist Danny Bulinati. And listening the other day as he was talking about uh, getting this thing done, uh, I didn't realize it. I, I assumed it took quite a bit of time to do uh, because there's a lot of pages, a lot of artwork there. I think it took Danny about a year and a half to complete this thing. And it's really, really nice, really good work. Um, but if you want to pick this up for yourself, maybe a young person in your life, an older person in your life who, who uh, would read a book like this, uh, the donation is normally $15, this week only through Saturday at midnight. You can get 20% off when you use promo code COMIC20, COMIC and the number 20, all one word, and uh, that gets you 20% off, but that's only through tomorrow night at midnight, Saturday, okay? And then it goes off, and it's back to $15. I mean, it's $15 anyway, but you got a promo code, right? <laughs> all right, so <clears throat> I... um. We're going to deal with a, a serious subject, but this would be this. What I'm going to play for you here would be funny. I mean, it really would. The, the, these two videos of of this press secretary, if you can call her that, and I, I just want to say a mouthpiece. Um, it would be funny if it wasn't such a serious issue that we're in. And I kind of titled this "The Illegitimate Regime's Evil Half Wit Haitian Voodoo Pervert Claims." Normal Americans are the threat. And this is related to what we spoke about yesterday morning with Joe Biden. The, the folks, the, the mask is off now. They're not even pretending. Oh, they say, oh, I support the Second Amendment. They're not even pretending who they're targeting. They're not even pretending about it anymore. Now, Biden wants to say right-wing patriots. That's just nonsense. Lawful patriots are the people they should fear. Okay? Lawful patriots who aren't caught up in the two-party system 
They're caught up in the fact they want liberty, and they, they're sick and tired of tyrants getting in the midst of their lives. They want to be left alone. If any of you guys have ever, and maybe I'll have to pull that out tomorrow, we'll read it on the air or whatever, but if any of you haven't read the little poem as such about the man that just wants to be left alone, you're going to poke on him, and you're going to poke on him, and you're going to poke on him, and he just wants to be left alone. But when he breaks, when he turns on you after you've poked him, you're not going to want to see that guy. And you certainly aren't going to see a bunch of them. But this is what these fools, and that's what they are, they're fools for their pains, for poking the people that just want to be left alone. Okay? Listen to what this lady has to say. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. It's uh, not a democracy. The president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, they uh, just don't uh, respect the rule of law. Oh, oh, what do we what do we learn the other week about the rule of law? They respect. Well, let me. I don't want to speak for all those people, and it isn't MAGA Republicans. Okay, some of those people might be. I, I don't know. I see a lot of idolatry there, so I'm I'm prone to think they follow this rule of law thing too. But if you remember, the rule of law is different than the law. The rule of law is all those statutes and codes and the mountain of laws that's just been piled on the people. This burden, same thing the Pharisees had done, and Jesus said, you're putting a burden on them that you yourself won't even carry. That's not freedom. That's not liberty. That's slavery. I don't know when we're going to wake up to that. You know, Bradley used to quote this thing from Harriet Tubman about, I could free more slaves if they just realized they were slaves. Sadly, in America, the people haven't realized that they have been enslaved. They've been beguiled. They've been pulled into a system that has enslaved them. And this lady wants to talk about freedom? I mean, she's, she's a slave to sin herself. She's a lesbian. She's a liar. She doesn't know how to think at all. I mean, my, just to make the point of what I'm saying about her, and I've played this before, this is supposed to be the lady who speaks for, you know, the guy in the White House, right? And and she's supposed to be knowledgeable. She's supposed to be sort of, you know, in his ear. Of course, I, I guess coming out of this and knowing Joe Biden and how he talks, uh, maybe this is maybe this is how she's getting here. But this is the same lady right here. Check this out. I'm not seeing that specific uh, data that you're speaking of. So I don't I don't have an update on that. I will have to check in with our team to see if we have something to share. I just don't have an update. But I, I understand the question. No, it's a it's a very good question. I don't have an update on that. I'm 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 happy to to go back and, and get that. I don't have anything specific on that. I don't have it's not it's not my place from here, this podium. So I don't have any update for, for you on that. Can you say that again? What what came back? I don't have a timeline on, on that. Um, um, so, 
Are you talking about a specific tweet? I don't want to get ahead of what he's going to say. Uh, as soon as I, as soon as we have that, we'll promise to share. Well, I think they will be happening. I, I don't have anything, any update for you on that. I don't have anything specific for you to point to. As soon as we have an update, I, I promise to share that. I don't have any, any list in front of me to read out to you. I don't have any information about if anyone's on the plan. That particular data I have not seen yet, so I wouldn't need to I could check do in this with job. Our, with I could team. do it. Again, I can go back to our team and, and figure that out. I have no update on, on the DPA and where we are. Again, that I was just going to have to check with our team. I, I've not seen that report, but I'll check in with our team on that. I, I don't have a uh, I don't have a conversation or, or a call to preview for you. don't have anything for you to preview or uh, to confirm, and so I, I'll do that. I'll check in with the team, but I just don't have anything new on that. I, I don't have anything new to share. I, I could do that. I don't have anything new to share. Thank you for coming to the press conference. I don't have anything new to share with you guys today. Have a nice day. Take my paycheck. I, I could do that. I really could. I, that probably would be a pretty good gig. Um, but nevertheless, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, as those who are in positions where your Mockingbird media is carrying their, I don't have anything new to tell you. But I do know those bad right-wing People over there are a threat to our democracy and my freedom to go over and engage in some sexual acts with my girlfriend. They're a threat to me because I'm a woman, because I'm black, because name your thing. Again, that's not freedom, that's slavery. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, today. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do is, earlier this week... For the pre-show music, I played um, Toby Mac, Speak Life, right? And um, some of you guys had never heard of it. Some of you had. And one of you know, it comes out of that idea that the that the the power of life and death is in the tongue. That's what Scripture says. And as I played it, something came across my mind because one of the things that this guy did, and by the way, uh, the guy I used to work for. <clears throat> A long time ago, uh, his daughter married a young man who was a friend of mine, who was a drummer in a band here locally, and he worked for one of the record companies. Uh, they, they were a Christian label. And one time I remember asking him, I said, Steve, uh, so among all of these, these Christian artists that you work with, I said, who do you think is probably the most genuine? And he's, he gave me a couple of names. He gave me, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman and some people at the time. Now, this is probably like, uh, I don't know. This is like 15 or 18 years ago, maybe maybe longer. I don't know. He said, the guy I think that's the most genuine that I've seen, and I've, I've been to his house, I've talked with him, we've done things together and this, that, and the other, is Toby Mack. That's what he, that's what he told me. And in 2019... Toby and his family lost his oldest son. Uh, apparently, some sort of a, a drug overdose or whatever. And uh, I believe he referred to him as his prodigal. And I, I don't even know how I would respond to that. I, I One thing I do hope that whatever happens in my life, that I would find a way to glorify God in it and to hold on to him. I went back and I kind of listened to one of his interviews where he talked about, you know, there was nothing to hold on to but God. And 
I came across uh, an interview, and he said something in an interview, and I thought I had saved the interview like written because that's where that was the title. It kind of grabbed me. No, it wasn't. Weed doesn't do that. Um, th it was fentanyl and some something else. I don't know what it was. Uh, in any case, he sent out this series of tweets, and this was linked from that article. <clears throat> and this is the family. Uh, you can see some of the images here as they're um, you know, laying to rest his son. Here's what he says. As we enter this week of Thanksgiving, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? The week of Thanksgiving, the time of celebrating and feasting and family, and you lose your firstborn son. He says, as we enter this week of Thanksgiving, we have something we'd like to share. Such overwhelming love has surrounded us this month. We still don't quite know which end is up, but we do know we're loved. As we mourn our firstborn son, God has poured out his love on us through people. See, I, I have told my pastor, I'm going I'm to share it with you guys. I have told my pastor, I said, I believe 1 Corinthians 11 where you have the warning about coming to the Lord's table and discerning the body is not talking about, you know, flesh and blood of Christ. He's talking about the body, the people. Why? Because he just got done chastising them that they didn't look after one another. One, they would, you know, the ones who had food and drink came in with the food and drink, and they were gluttons and they were drunkards. And he says, you got a house? Go eat at home. This isn't about that. This is about showing love to the body. In fact, the, the whole context uh, from chapter 11 through chapter 14, I think, is speaking about the body. And, and right in the midst of it, in 13, is what? Love. It's about love. I can understand all the prophecies in the world. I can, um, you know, be great with my language. I can be... The most beautiful creature God has made. I can do all these things, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. None of us are without love. And he goes on. He's reiterating this, and I want you to catch what he's saying. He has loved us through you. He's talking about God. He's loved us through you. You ever think about that? God loves people through us. That's how he shows his love. Many of you have done that for me. You've heard me talk about it. Your kind acts and words and prayers and thoughts and songs and poems and teachings and gifts and meals and times and expertise and travel have made death bearable. You have been God's light to us in our darkest days. A comfort to our broken hearts. We have experienced family at every, at every layer and every turn, from the closest to those who have loved from a distance. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times over. We are grateful for your gentle and compassionate hearts. It is something we will never forget. Community as it should be. The body at its best. How God must be pleased. Also, we've been encouraging ourselves to stand on this. The place of death here, here's, this is what I was looking for. The place of death is actually where all that we believe 
is most significant. That that was what I wanted to title the show, and I couldn't find it. It's in the midst of this thing here. The place of death, I'm going to go back and retitle it. The place of death is actually where all that we believe is most significant. That God has the power to do what he promised. And what did he promise? Defeat death and give life to anyone who believes. And I'll add, to the Lord Jesus. That they believe in the Lord Jesus. So from the valley of the shadow of death, we pray a flood of thankfulness will rise this week. Thankfulness to a kind... To a kind God who is not afraid. The Father of the heavenly lights who shines most beautifully in the darkness and gives us everything we need. If that isn't an echo of what Job says when he loses all his children in his house and all his stuff that he's got. And he says, the Lord is given, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If that isn't an echo of that, I don't know what he is. And I listened to him in an interview, and I'm not going to make it about Toby Mike, but this was what was striking a chord with me. When I read that little line there, and again, I'm going to go back and retitle things here. Uh, when I read that little line, the place of death is actually where all that we believe is most significant. It it struck something in my mind, and I and I began to think about it, and I wanted to hear more about what he said in this time because it wasn't him that's dying; he's still living. So he's not saying that. He's saying when we're confronted with death, it really brings out and it shows us who we are and what we're about. Okay. So with that said, I did listen. Uh, to more of of what he had to say, and it was there was something that he said in the midst of one of the interviews, and it was something like this. I'm going to kind of try to paraphrase it, but he he spoke about I knew God was there that He could carry us through everything. I knew that He was, you know, the supplier of strength and comfort and hope. I knew that up here because I had read it. This is what he said in his word. I just trusted him in it. But it's when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, it's when you're in that valley that it becomes real. Now I know it. Not just up here. I know it by experience because I've walked with him through that valley. In my life, I've seen many believers who did just that. They have walked the walk, not just known what Scripture says and can repeat it back to you. They've experienced it, and they've experienced the God who promises that He will never leave us nor forsake us. They've experienced that. Now, let me take you back just a brief history. Many of you know this but a brief history of why we even have death and what it does. And there's a ton of scriptures that I think about. You know, they say that we think about death, the average man does, at least four times a day. And I, I'm going to tell you, I think that's a good thing 
because the Bible says that our life is like a vapor. It's here for a little bit, it's gone. We're like the grass. It's green in the morning, and it's dead in the afternoon when the sun comes up. That's how quick our life goes. I think about my own life. You know, I'm a little over half a century. I, I like to uh, tease some of my friends with that, uh, especially, um, you know, women, the, the, my, my former pastor's wife, she used to hate when I'd say that because I think we were about the same age, and she said, don't say something like that. It's, but the fact of the matter is, we're not getting younger, we are getting older. And our life goes by like that. I mean, I can remember things I was doing as a kid or as a teenager like it was a couple of months ago, even though I can't tell you basically what day I get in <laughs> right now. But I can remember those things as though they're, they're fresh on my mind. So what brought us to this issue where we even have to deal with death? Well, let's look at Scripture. Genesis chapter 3. Remember Adam and Eve, our first parents, they were put into the garden. And um, they were given everything. I mean, everything was done for them. All they had to do was harvest some fruit and some vegetables. That's all they had to do. Tend to the garden. Expand it. That's all they had to do. And there was only one no-no that God gave them. What was that? Don't eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that one. I find it interesting because that that's carried out throughout Scripture, too, because you always see when the people depart from God, they do what? They do what is right or what is good in their own eyes. They're choosing to determine what's good and what's evil. And that's what that tree represents. It, it represents the fact that they don't want to listen to God. They don't want to listen to the lawgiver. They want to be the lawgiver to themselves. This is, this is what practical Satanism is, by the way. It's that famous quote from Aleister Crowley that says, Do what thou will, will be the whole of the law. Do what's right in your own eyes. That's what he encourages people to do. Now, he knows better now, but that's what he was encouraging people to do because he was deceived by the devil and he was deceiving those who follow him. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the, of the garden? Or not, uh, excuse me, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it. Now God didn't say that. That must have been something that Adam was communicating to her to say, Look, just stay away from that thing as far as you can. Don't, don't even get near it. Okay? lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now listen, our Mormon friends, I'm just going to tell you, you've got Brigham Young, you've got others who taught that this was not a fall downward, this was a fall upward towards Godhood. This is why they one day believed they'll be gods. And they believed that God was once a man. Yes, that is what your founders and such taught. For those who don't know. But let's go back to what it says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, 
And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, And remember, when I told you about the word beguiled there, when you go back to the root, what you find is, He's made me a debtor. I mean, that's what it, that's what it is. He's swindled me out of my inheritance, out of me taking dominion. He swindled me out of it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's the first gospel right there. The proto-evangelion. That's, that's the technical term for it. It is the first gospel that's given. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and conception. In sorrow thou shalt bear forth or bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And there you go with uh, the, um, the, the misogyny and with the feminism. There it is right there in the curse. Okay? And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou Return. I want to come back to this in just a little bit. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I want to return to this in just a bit. So what's different? Is there anything different with us than there is with them? Nope. God's given us his commands, hasn't he? He's been pretty clear. We even know it in our hearts. When we're doing something we're not supposed to be doing, that's sin, violating God's law. How do I know that? Because we try to do it in secret, don't we? Try to see if we can get away with it. The more we get away with it, the harder our hearts become. And the more bold we become doing it to where we're no longer doing it in the secret. So if you're wondering why people can go out in the streets and do a pride parade, it's because they've been emboldened. They've been emboldened. If you're wondering why people can go out and openly advocate for the murder of the unborn, it's because they've been emboldened. If you're wondering how an illegitimate guy can be in the White House and threaten the people who are actual, well, not all of them, but threaten people 
who would actually call out the illegitimacy and call out the lawlessness, it's because they've been emboldened. And why is that? Because no judgment has been brought against them. What did God promise? In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And you and I face death every day. We just don't know it, many of us. We just go on about our life like it's going to continue forever. Never giving thought of the fact that, yes, we too will draw that last breath. We too will enter out into eternity. And never think about it. Never think about the fact that we're going to be standing before a holy God. Someone that we can't even begin to comprehend. You know, he's told us that he went to prepare a place for us. And the Bible says that for those who love him, the things that he has created are beyond our comprehension. hasn't even entered into our mind. Now, if the thing that he created for us is that much, how much do you think he is? A great and awesome God. And I'm not talking that awesome like, you know, hey, dude, you know, skateboarder talk. I'm talking about awesome in the sense of overwhelming. When the prophet Isaiah, this is God's man, his mouthpiece. When the prophet Isaiah saw him, what did he say? I am coming undone. I am disintegrating. I, in my mind, I get this picture because I've heard the so-called scientists, and then, boy, we may find this be different. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is the scientists say that you know all the atoms of our body are, should be repelling each other, and yet they're staying together. I can tell you why that is. The Bible says that he holds all things together by what? His mighty strength? Nope. By the word of his power. And I see Isaiah sensing that he's just coming apart in the presence of God. This is God's man who's saying that. Paul gives an argument. The, the, the book of Romans is really an argument for the Christian faith. It would be, I don't know, the Institutes of the Christian Religion by Calvin, by Paul, if, if you will. Uh, except these are the words of God. Calvin's are not. But in the midst of his arguments about the Christian faith and that it's legitimate and that it is that people should put their faith in the Christ, he comes to Romans 6. It's a passage that you guys are familiar with, but I just want to read a little bit of the context here. Um, <clears throat> let me see if I can, because I brought up the wrong thing here. <clears throat> yeah, let me see if I can get this. Um... Now he talked now remember he's writing to Romans okay Roman Christians by the way this is to the church this is not to unbelievers so remember that when you read something and you want to say you want to tell an unbeliever this applies to you it doesn't this is written to believers now does the word of god have power over unbelievers even coming from the book of Romans absolutely it does and there is something that unbelievers can learn from this as well and so listen to what he says um, let's slide up here, just to um, verse, verse 12. That's where we'll go. We'll try to do all this. Or right, verse 11, let's go back there. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it, in the lust thereof. Now, what was going on there in the garden? Well, wasn't it a lust? 
Yeah, it was. The lust took place before the actual sin, even though the lust was sin itself. It was the desire of the heart. It wasn't to love God and obey his commandment. It was to ponder, it was to ponder and consider making your own law, becoming your own God, becoming your own lawgiver. Okay? Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And sin, look guys, it's very simple. Sin is transgression of lawless or, or transgression of the law. In other words, it's lawlessness. That's that's all it is. You you you're a lawbreaker. Okay? But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Hmm. Let's go back in the garden. What was the command that God gave in Genesis chapter 1? He says, you are to take dominion over the earth and over the creatures and over everything in the earth, right? Isn't that what he said? Yep, that's exactly what he said. And now what happened when they broke covenant with God? And they violated his law. The one law that he gave, it was one. It wasn't 619. It wasn't a bazillion of them like we have here in the United States of America. What, do we, what goes on there? He gave one command. It was very simple. Don't eat of that tree. And since then, not only he and Eve, not only Adam and Eve, fell into sin and ultimately into death, so have all their children, including you and me. That's why we die. We don't die because we get old. I mean, gosh, we're seeing people dying in their 20s and 30s and teens right now due to the shot. Why are they dying? Sin. Sin. That's what does it. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Now, there are people who would tell you, it's just fine. Just sin all you want to. You can sin all you want to, and it's covered by grace. Because you asked Jesus in your heart, right? You heard any of those people do that stuff? That's not, that's not from the Bible. That's from the devil, man. That's the devil whispering in your ear. Hath God said that you should need of every tree in the, in the garden? That's from him. That's not from God. Know ye not... That to whom we yield, ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now let me let me just point something out here. Again, he's talking about believers. You've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Why is that important? Because believing is obeying. If you don't think so, you turn over into, I think it's, um, see the First Corinthians chapter 1, First Thessalonians chapter 1, or Second Thessalonians chapter 1. I forget which one. Uh, I'd have to look it up. I didn't, this is just hitting my mind and I forgot to pull it up. But when you go over there, what you'll see is the Lord will descend from heaven with his angels, and he'll bring judgment on those who don't obey the gospel. They don't obey the gospel. Now, what does that mean? Well, they believe, that's somewhere up here, they believe in it, and they believe from the heart, they really do believe it, but it works in obedience outwardly too, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
They don't do away with the law and say, oh, we don't need that anymore. I got grace cover me. I can just live how I can continue on living how I was living. That's not what it is. It is a transformation of the man. It is taking out of him the heart of stone and giving him a heart of flesh, a, a, a real live heart, not a dead one. Let's continue. Know ye not that whom you um, yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto, unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages, remember I told you about beguiled, beguiled made Adam and Eve debtors, made all their kids debtors, right? And what do debtors have to do? They have to pay back, don't they? They have to pay back their debt. For the wages of sin is death. Let me ask you something, friend. What are you paying back towards? Are you paying back towards death? Or are you paying back towards life? Because though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which, as you listen, who, who's, who's the debtor you're paying back? Are you paying back sin, your master? Or are you paying back the master who bought you, the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you paying him back in obedience to him to eternal life? And again, you don't sin to try to earn death, do you? That's not your goal in doing it. You do it because you like to do it, right? You love to sin. Let's be honest about it. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. Otherwise, nobody would do it. I tell people, when I sinned, I had fun. I enjoyed it. It was pleasurable. Well, shouldn't the same be true of those who are, who are serving their master, the Lord Jesus? Should our obedience not be enjoyable? Should it not be pleasurable? Jesus said, when people are, are saying all kinds of bad things about you, and they will do it, they'll hate you for my name's sake, what do you, leap for joy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Oh man, he, he, he completely flips the tables and he says, you do the very exact opposite that you normally would have done. That's fruit of repentance. You do the very opposite of what you normally would have done. Let me take you over into, because this kind of touches on the, the, the thing that I said before with Toby Mack. As he, uh, as he spoke about this, 
This is Psalm 23. Many of you will know this. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Ah, do do you see the picture here? Does the shepherd love or hate the sheep? Uh, The shepherd loves the sheep and he cares for them. You see a great picture in the the physical uh, with, with David before he becomes king, as he's a young man, as he's a young boy. What is he doing? He's caring for the sheep. He loves the sheep so much that he puts his life in danger by interposing himself between a bear and between a lion. He he leads them down to the waters, and he watches over them as they drink. He, He walks them through the fields, and he guards and watches them as they eat the grass. God is the one who leads his people. And then he says this. That's all the good stuff, right? And we look at this as though this is a bad thing, but this is good too. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh. Now we think of a rod, we, we think of the word comfort like, oh, come here, baby, let me give you a hug. That's not what he's talking about here. His rod and the staff, he has to prod them into place. There's a little crook on the end because he'll grab them around the neck to pull them away from wherever they're not supposed to be at. That's comforting. There's an old picture. I should have pulled this up, but I didn't think about it until now. There's an old picture uh, of a king who is riding on his horse, um, and his men are there in front of him, and he's got his sword out with the flat end of the blade, and he's kind of smacking him on the back, and it said he's comforting his men. I remember the first time I saw that, I said, what in the world? I had to go look up what was going on there because it just I was like, this doesn't look like comfort the way I've been taught it, and it isn't. It isn't that at all. But he is one who comforts us. He is one who is there in our darkest time. And like, I don't know if any of you guys have had this experience, but I can remember my father. And I can remember going in some places that were, you know, kind of scary. You go one of these theme parks or something like that. Or, you know, even as a kid, uh, you know, when I went with my parents, I was scared to death of a roller coaster. Now I'll get on about anything uh, if I had the chance. Usually I don't have a chance to do that. But I remember my dad and mom, we went down to Six Flags in Georgia one year, and they put me on the water flume, right? The little wooden thing that you sit in, you ride around in the water, and you have a couple of drops in it, and the drops always just scared me to death as a little boy. And then they went and stuck me on the Great American Screen Machine. I don't even know if that's still out there now. It was probably an old rickety thing like uh, uh, Thunder Road was over here at Carowinds in North Carolina. But I was scared to death. I screamed my head off the whole time, but you know what? The whole time, I sat there, and my dad had his arms around me. And he loved me, and he, he said, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Just try to keep your eyes open, don't, don't close your eyes. And he was right there with me. Now, that's not the same thing as walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but for me as a little kid, 
It was certain death. I was going to die on this thing. Even though I had seen all these people go on and come off, right? This is the kid's mindset. And yet he's there. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy. Now, I know some people have said, surely. It's not surely. It's not a lady. Surely. (laughs) Assuredly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David has a hope too, and this is before Christ. It doesn't mean his hope isn't in Christ. He knows God's going to provide the Messiah. The Messiah was promised there in Genesis chapter 3. He knows that's going to be there, and he trusts in him. In fact, we read over in uh, later in the Psalms, also in Hebrews, we talk about the Lord said to my Lord. I know we got some people out there, black Hebrews and other things like that, who want to say, well, that's not talking about Jesus. That's talking about King David and doing this, that, and the other. No, it's talking about exactly what was spoken of in Genesis chapter 3. Did King David crush the head of the serpent? Really? Is that what you guys think? Now, you don't see the fulfillment of what Christ has done that was spoken of all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, when Jesus was raised from the dead, Luke 24, what does he do? He comes to his disciples and he says, Moses and the prophets, the Psalms, all those guys, all that stuff's about me, guys. It's about me. And he opened their understanding to the point where these guys really had genuine faith. They went out and preached in the midst of the the Roman Empire. And all of them but one were killed for their faith. Now, I don't know anybody who knowingly, who knows it's a lie and goes and preaches it and is willing to give their life for it. I don't know anybody like that. These guys weren't told by somebody that Jesus, they walked with Jesus. They, you know, John saw him dead on the cross. They knew he had been put in a tomb. And then he appears to them, you know, we're playing Don Francisco's He's Alive uh, on the pre-show music. They, They saw him come into the room, a locked door. They saw him come in and he ate with them. We mentioned the other week, he made breakfast for them. Later on, while they were trying to catch fish, he already had fish and bread going on the fire there on the beach. They saw him ascend into heaven, and so did 500 other other witnesses, according to 1 Corinthians 15, which we're going to take a look at right now. Because this is the gospel message. If you're a person out there saying, I don't know this, this God that you speak of. I mean, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know this guy who delivers people from death and from sin. And I'm... Undone. I, I'm, I'm, my sin is overwhelming me. It's destroying my life. Well, I'm going to tell you about him, so just hang on. Okay, just hang on. 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite passages, and we might go over a little bit long. I thought I would get it all in within this, but we may go over a little bit today. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. 
For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And remember, this is Paul writing, and remember when he went to Berea, he preached this same gospel. It's the same gospel the apostles had. Paul was not a guy out here just doing it on his own. He learned it. He came and met the apostles. They believed he was the real deal. Paul was the one who came in in Acts chapter 15 when the elders were meeting in Jerusalem to determine whether or not the Judaizers were right in saying, oh, you've got to have faith in Christ, but you've got to keep the law too. And what they meant was, you've got to do all these ceremonial aspects and all this other stuff. That's what they meant. Because they specifically mentioned circumcision. It wasn't about God's moral law. Everybody knew you had to, that that needed to be kept. It wasn't just you run amok on that. And they argued that, and then they turned around, they sent Paul out as a missionary out into the Gentiles. They laid their hands on him for that. And that he not only died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. So he was put into a tomb to show that he was dead. These guys talking about he had a swoon, and you know the coolness of the tomb woke him up. And, and he, I mean, come on, guys. He was crucified. He had a spear shoved into his side, up into his heart. That's why the guy did it. Shoved it right up into his heart. And when he pulled it out, water and blood came out. The, Jesus was dead. His body was dead. Now, the Bible says that he was alive in the Spirit, and he went down and he preached to the spirits his triumphant message, message of victory over them. Right? He did do that, but his body was dead as a doornail. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve, and after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, not at different times, at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And then after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's what Paul was. He was a persecutor of the church of God, seeing believers in the Lord Jesus put to death. And then he says this, but I'm not that anymore. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. It changed my life. I become vigilant for the gospel. Paul gave himself going all over the map. He went to Asia, minor. He was on his way to Spain. Uh, he wanted to go to Rome, that's true. He wrote about that in the book of Romans. But he, he gets caught here in in Jerusalem, and he makes his appeal to Caesar. So he's on his way to Rome, and there he's he's going to he's wanting to go to Spain. He's wanting to take the gospel everywhere he can take it. That's how diligent he was. That's how much of a change was. He became the hunted instead of the hunter. Now, if you want to hear the rest of this, I'm happy to share it with you because we're going to take a few minutes and go over, um, and we'll hit some of these things here in just a minute, a little more on 1 Corinthians 15 and the hope we have in Christ. So join us for that. Bradley will be with you at 3. Lord willing, we'll be back in the morning, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimbrani. Don't miss it. See you. 
Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And uh, so let's get right back to where we were, 1 Corinthians 15. And here's what we're seeing. Um, he says, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, he was given power by God to do what he did. He wasn't, I, you know, I hear this, I hear this stuff all the time. I used to hear it all the time. Jesus did something in me. It changed my life. He's doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it by my strength. I'm doing it by his. And I used to sit there and go, uh-huh, okay. And, and I would, it wasn't that I disagreed with it. It was that I didn't know it. I mean, personally, I didn't. I got it up here that you're saying that. I don't know how it works. I, I, how do I flip that switch on? Well, the reality is I can't flip the switch on. I'm dead in my sin. This is why the gospel is so important. It confronts sinners with their sin, their lawlessness, their breaking of God's law. If you don't know what that is, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. We read this the other week uh, together. Having other gods before him, taking his name in vain, making carved images and worshiping them, um, uh, violating the Sabbath, um, dishonoring your parents, killing, stealing, committing adultery, uh, you know, committing perjury, uh, and also coveting. Also coveting. Are you breaking any of those laws? Well, I'm not committing adultery. Well, are you lusting? Are you committing fornication? It's any sex outside of, of, of a marriage bond. Are you engaged in sodomy or engaged in lesbianism? Are you engaged in any of these kinds of perversions of what God has set for marriage? That's a violation of his law. What, what about, you know, why well, haven't killed anybody? Well, have you hated your brother in your heart without a cause? Jesus says that's the way. Same thing. And all of these tie right back into, I've made mention this before, in the, into the 10th commandment. Because all of them are driven by our covetous heart. We want to do what we want to do. We want to have what we want to have. And it doesn't matter if it's somebody else's or not. And if we got to kill, steal, commit adultery, whatever, to get it, that's what drives people to do those things of violation of God's law. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. In other words, he's saying we're violating the ninth commandment. We are witnesses to these things. We're not perjuring ourselves. We're not telling lies. We're not telling fables or myths. I mean, this guy is a persecutor of the church. He's converted. Now he becomes one of them, and he preaches the same gospel the church preaches, and now he's persecuted. Who does that on their own? Who all of a sudden changes over, has such a dramatic experience that changes their life that they now want to be numbered among the hunted and the persecuted. I mean, he had a life of ease. 
But God changed his life. And then he says this, We're found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Listen to me, believers. If Christ isn't, if, he, if he's not been raised from the dead, we're the, we're the most foolish. He says, we're, uh, we are of all men most miserable. That's verse 19. We're believing a lie, if that's the case. And yet, the historical narrative, the archaeology, the timeline, all of the things recorded by very... And look, I want to I tell people when they say, oh, well, you only have that in the Bible. That's nonsense. You've got several writers outside of the Bible that wrote about Jesus in his time page, the contemporaries there. You've got several people. Done. All of these authors in the Scriptures write their own Bible. They're all different men writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says. But they're all different men from different times, spanning 1,500 years or more. And they're all writing about the Christ. Some wrote that he's coming. Others wrote that he has come, and we've witnessed it. We've seen it. Read 1 John. He says, man, we, we handled him. We touched him. We ate with him. We saw him. We spoke with him. He's the word of life. That's what, they, that's what he calls him. So again, back to 1 Corinthians 15. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, the people who believed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ and they died, well, they're perishing. They're not, they don't have eternal life. They're dead. They are no more. They're perishing. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man, and who are we talking about? Adam. For since by man came death, by man, this is the second Adam, this is why Paul refers to him as the second Adam, and he's talking about Christ, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that, are at Christ, they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. What well, you want some hope? You see all these degenerates. You know, you, you hear the introduction that we have there from Matt Trujillo and, and the kids there in the video. How long, Lord, will the wicked do their thing? How long are we going to be oppressed by these tyrants? How long are you going to let your people suffer and be killed by these wicked men? How long, O oh Lord? Well, notice that Paul says, and this is first century, 
He's, saying, he's indicating Jesus is already reigning there. He's not waiting to reign out in the future. That's not what's going on. He is reigning. And all that we see, no matter how dark and dismal it seems at certain times, King Jesus has it under control. It's part of his decrees. It's part of the, the providence that he has laid out that will come to pass. And in the midst of it, he told us not to be afraid. He told us not to be disconcerted over what we see. We're going to hear of you know, all kinds. Of, he was telling his disciples for the first century, he says, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. You go to the book of Acts, you can see that already taking place. He warns them to get out of Jerusalem when they see the armies surrounding Jerusalem. And the ones that got out were spared. The ones that were left in, read about them in Josephus. It was not a pretty sight. But he's going to reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. There's coming a time, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, when death will be no more. It will be no more. We're not going to face this separation from those we love, nor of the Lord our God. There's coming a time for that. For now, we experience it in seeing those who leave the earth before we do. And we feel like we've been just something, a piece of us has been torn out. And Paul encourages the believers, don't be like the unbelievers. They don't have any hope. You have hope. The Lord's going to bring them with him. He's going to bring them with him one day. And we're going to be together with the Lord forever. Out of the presence of sin, out of the bondage of sin, out of the uh, dominion of sin. <laughs> I can't even... I, can you imagine what that will be to never be tempted again? To never have that little thing that stirs? To never have it. Ever. Not be confronted with it or anything. And out of the presence of sinners around you, that the people you are with have been made holy in Christ, they have been conformed to His image. Can you imagine that? That's what's coming. Nothing's going to stop it. I can say with the Q crowd, nothing's, stop, nothing's going to stop what's coming, except it ain't what they think it is. Nothing's stopping Jesus from having his way. Nothing. Nothing will do that. And then we read this. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he has saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Isn't that interesting? This isn't about you and me. This is about God. God is not an idolater. He has done all... Look, He has made all things for... What? His glory. And for His purposes. His purposes. His glory. Now, 
Ultimately, it turns out for good for his people, that's for sure. And so who are we to appeal to in all of this? Got a couple more passages, and then we'll, we'll close out. Uh, I want to read you a couple of things, too, uh, some quotes before we close out. This is from Psalm 73, verse 22. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. In other words, they become spiritual adulterers. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Now, I've got one more thing, and I, f- I forgot to bring this up. This one was one that was really on my mind and uh, last night, and then I, I completely forgot uh, to do it. But one of the things that uh, you know I'll hear people say is, well, Jesus never claimed to be God about this kind of thing. Um, let me... Um, Jesus never claimed to be God and all this kind of stuff, and it's just, it's just silly uh, that people, people do that. But one of the things that uh, always astounds me is that Jesus goes, you remember he has this friend, and here's the thing. He's got this friend, Lazarus, and Lazarus has got these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus gets sick, and he, you know, Jesus has given a message about that. He's with his disciples, and Jesus continues doing what he's doing, continues ministering. He doesn't run over there to see Lazarus, and Lazarus dies. And Jesus knows he's died because the disciples said, well, don't, you know, shouldn't we go see him? And, oh, he, he's, he's dead. We'll take care of that. And he, t- he says specifically that when he goes, it's for the gl- that the glory of God might be shown. Right? That's what he tells him. And so he comes up to Mary and Martha, and he's obviously weeping, and they're, you know, they pay people to come and weep, and obviously there's family and friends and stuff like this. They've already stuck him in the tomb. He's been in there for four days. Okay? And he comes up. And <laughs> he, gets, uh, he gets Martha. Remember, Martha's the busy one. She's wanting the house kept clean. She's wanting to make sure she serves everybody. Everything stays neat. You can kind of see it. You know, she's in there washing dishes while everybody else is is fellowshipping. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And you can see Mary's. I mean, Martha is just one of these ladies that every time she comes out of the kitchen, whatever, she's got a broom and she'll be sweeping, right? Or she's got a towel and she's wiping on the table. It's not anything wrong with that. There's everything good about being hospitable. Everything good about that. But she's the busy one, right? And she, then she's, Lord, won't you chastise my sister because she's sitting there at your feet and, you know, I, can't you see I got a lot of stuff to do? He says, what you're doing's okay. But Mary, uh, Mary's chosen what's best. What was that? To hear the words of life. Okay. So he comes there to where this, these two sisters are mourning the death of their brother. Let's read what we see. 
This is from John chapter 11, verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it. They, at first, they, 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 they told him, they said, Jesus, if you had just been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. That, that's, that's what's come before this. If, if you'd just been here, this wouldn't all be taking place. He wouldn't be out there in the, in the grave rotting, and we wouldn't be heartbroken and, and crying and all this. And then she spins it on its head and says, but I know if you ask God, he'll give it. I want you to pay attention to the words that are used here. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha, thinking what she's been taught, which was a right teaching, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, for all of you people who are into, you know, a, a, a rapture, seven-year tribulation, and, you know, multiple, uh, you know, resurrections and all this, she's sitting here saying, it happens at the last day, okay? But Jesus kind of ignores what she says. And look, it's, he kind of ignores like what Nicodemus, remember when they're having the talk, Nicodemus says, no man can do what you do except God be with him. And he goes, you know what, you got to be born again. He kind of ignores what Nicodemus just said. He says, you got to be born again. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said, she went her way, and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. Men are dead in their sin. Oh, they're alive to us. We see them living around us. But they're dead in their sin. And they need a resurrection. And it ain't going to happen by asking people to pray a prayer. It ain't going to be happened by, by going through some track with them uh, and saying, do you believe this, do you believe this, do you believe this? No, that doesn't happen. It comes by men preaching the Word of God, living it out, by people seeing that that is real in their life, in the works that they do, and glorifying God in heaven. But the preaching of the gospel goes forth. And again, as I pointed out before, Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Can these bones live? I don't know, Lord. You know. Preach to them. Pre- just proclaim. doesn't mean you've got to spit and your face got to turn red. And you're, you know, if you're three or four hundred pound preachers like some of those that we have around here, uh, your button's got to pop off your jacket and all that stuff. No, no, no. They, they equate perspiration with inspiration. It just means you're proclaiming the truth. You're speaking the truth. And you're calling dead sinners to come to life in Christ. And Jesus says this, you don't have to wait till the last day. I am the resurrection. I'm the resurrection, uh, Martha. And what does he do? What, what, do we, what do we see after this? He tells the people, after he's given them this little lesson, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. He says, won't you guys go over there and I want you to roll that stone away. I mean, this is the equivalent of um, digging up the grave of the loved one that you just put in the ground the week prior. 
exhume, exhume the body. And a lot of people get you know really uptight. Now, I get it. It's an emotional thing more than it is a logical thing, but digging up the body. Go over there and roll that stone away. But Jesus, I, I love how the King James puts it. By this time, he stinketh. I don't want to. I don't want to go roll the stone away on my brother. I mean, he's already rotting. I want to think of him the way he was, and all this stuff, right? And and in this time, they would put spices on the body. That would be their way to kind of try to preserve it in some fashion. They'd wrap it up, almost in a mummy fashion. And he says, "Go roll that stone away." And what happens? He says, Lazarus, come forth. And I like what one preacher said before. He said, if he didn't say Lazarus, everybody in their graves would have come forth. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I like to think of it that way, that his word is powerful to do that. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what does the Bible say? Lazarus came forth. I had a guy, we were teaching um, Sunday school in, in the church we planted over here in Gastonia, North Carolina. And for Sunday school, what we would do is we would go through the catechism, and we would take the, the question and the answer, and we would take the you know, I'd I'd write out lessons for, you know, every night of the week so that dads could borrow from those things to kind of teach their families so that when we came together on Sunday, if there were any questions, we could answer questions or or we could, uh, you know, maybe somebody had something they wanted to bring in. They said, hey, I, you know, I read this with it and we could add those kinds of things. It was really it was really a good experience of learning for both the preacher and for the, the congregation. Um, and, and so I really enjoyed those kind of things. But we had one where I was teaching on what I brought up you guys uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, the golden chain of redemption, I called it, over there in Romans uh, chapter 8 and, and, and then moving later on into chapter 9. But where God um, calls and he justifies and he sanctifies and he ultimately glorifies. And that is the work of the resurrection, and the life. Him giving that to his people. The Lord Jesus doing that. And we had this guy come in. And me and the other elder that were there. We had this guy come in. And he goes, boy, that was that was really something. He said, but you got to really, really be careful with that. Uh, you know, God's sovereignty and salvation stuff. And you know, you know, you just. And I don't, I forget all of what he said, but he said that. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, we, we just gave you what scripture said. Yeah, but you didn't. And, and I said, well, and then he went to, I said, well, wait a minute. I said, he wanted to push the free will stuff. And I said, well, did Lazarus have free will? And he said, yes. And I said, what? I said, so when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus could have disobeyed Jesus? And he goes, yes. This is how warped this guy was in his, in his thinking. And the other elder is just sitting there bewildered, and he goes, what was he going to do? Hold his breath? And I immediately said, well, it didn't matter if he's holding his breath or not. He was coming out of that grave. Why? Because it was the power of God in him. It was not the power of his will, nor of his flesh, nor of who he came from, his, his, his prodigy, or his, his, his prod- pedigree. Sorry. It's not that. First John, or excuse me, John 1.13. Not of our will, not of bloods, not of any of that stuff. It's the work of God. And Jesus looks to Lazarus, and what does he say? Come forth. If you're a sinner, and you recognize your sin and your need of a Savior from sin, then come forth. Cry out to him for mercy, and you'll have it. 
But if you want to justify it, if you want to backtalk to God, not me, if you want to backtalk to God, the wages of your sin is death. You trample upon the blood of Jesus as it, though it's nothing. Or you can embrace him and it will be your everything. Not promising you a life of ease or any of that other, but Jesus does promise an abundant life, whether that is in joy or sorrow, in trouble or in good things, whether in plenty or not, clothed or naked, doesn't matter. He promises you an abundant life. I want to give you a couple of things because ultimately we're to live. We're to live for the glory of God. But what happens when it's time to die? You know, again, I mentioned at the first of the uh, of the show. They say the average man thinks about death about four times a day. For me, I think maybe I think about it more than that. And I think that's a good thing because it always puts us in check as to to evaluate ourselves where we're at. I'm not saying be melancholy. I'm not saying, you know, just go to the extreme and just spend days and days and days thinking about this. I'm not saying that at all. But I think it's a good thing of it's like this check going the clock's ticking. Where are you at? What are you doing? Who's your master? How are you serving? Are you being obedient? And sometimes I got to really check myself. I have to repent of things too. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a I think it's a grace of God. I really do. Let me read you some quotes and and I wasn't there when these things happened, but I want to give you some contrasts. Some men who were Christians versus some men who are not Christians. French philosopher and comic Francois Rabelia, I guess I, I hope I said his name correctly. He died in 1553. Bring down the curtain, the farce is over. Those are his, those are his deathbed quote. Martin Luther, the reformer. This is what he said on his deathbed. Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. Voltaire, that wicked man. I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ. You guys have heard the hymn, Rock of Ages. Augustus Toplady, that's his name. It's kind of, maybe it was a regular name for the time, but it's kind of a funny name, I, I always thought. He penned the hymn, Rock of Ages. He died at only 38. Here's what he said on his deathbed. I love this one. I enjoy heaven already in my soul. My prayers are all converted into praises. <laughs> no longer is he asking God. He's just going to be thanking him and giving him glory for who he is. Top Lady. Yep, that was his last name. Top Lady. Just like you wrote it. <laughs> Thomas Paine. One of our founding fathers. Listen to what he wrote. 
I would give worlds if I had them if the Age of Reason had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Stay with me. It is hell to be left alone. Hmm. You ever thought about that? To be alone forever. Richard Baxter, great Puritan theologian, here's what he said. I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. Winston Churchill, guy who said, never give up, right? He said on his deathbed, I am convinced that there is no hope. What a sad statement. What a sad statement. Oh, no, South. He'll be in the presence of God. The wicked are in the presence of God, too, because hell is God. He is a consuming fire. He is the one bringing judgment. It's not the devil stoking those, the fire and brimstone. It's God himself pouring out his wrath. That's why it used to drive me crazy when Billy Graham said things like, oh, everybody's, these people are going out into a Christless eternity. No, they're not. They're going to meet him in the fullness of the fierceness of his wrath. This is why we warn men. Flee the wrath to come. Whose wrath? It's God's. It's God's wrath. John Knox, love John Knox. He uttered these piercing words and then he died. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. Boy, ah. That is a great quote. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. There was a Jewish novelist by the name of Atalo Svevo, or Sevo, I don't know how you pronounce it, S-V-E-V-O. There was a nurse trying to minister last rites, and he says, when you haven't prayed all your life, it's no use at the last moment. What a sad, what a sad... So sad. Cesare Borgia had this quote on his deathbed. When I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die, and I am unprepared to die. We all know it's coming. For some of us, it's going to be on a deathbed. For some of us, it's going to be in an instant. Bullet's going to come out of somewhere. House going to catch on fire. We're going to have a car wreck or whatever the case may be. It'll be instant. We won't even see it coming. That happens too. Remember one guy I worked with. We made um, the plastic interiors for the Freightliner trucks. You know, those little things that go in the door, you know, where your handle were and your dashboard and all this kind of stuff. I remember sitting in there a little bit after my conversion, and talking with him. And he said, you know, you always got that one last breath. And that one la- this that's how he would talk to me, that breath. He wouldn't say breath, T-H. He would say breath, like with an F, breath. You always got that one breath. 
that last breath, and I, you can ask Jesus to save you then. I said, and what happens when it happens in an instant and you don't have that last breath, like you say? And he just kind of looked and he says, well, you always got that one last breath. And I said, well, I pray the Lord open your eyes, man, because for some people that ain't the case. Oh, yeah, they have a last breath, but they have no idea they're dying. Edgar Allan Poe died at the age of 40. Crying out in the street, Lord, help my poor soul. What about Judas Iscariot? I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And he went out, he wasn't, he didn't repent, he went out and hung himself. He went and committed more sin, self-murder. And then we see somebody like Stephen. Died a martyr's death of stoning. And here's what he said. Wasn't concerned about himself. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. It's reminiscent of what Jesus prayed on the cross, wasn't it? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I think that's a prayer just like it was in John chapter 17. He's praying for his people. He's not praying for the world, because he says in John chapter 17, I don't pray for the world, but for those you gave me out of the world. So I'll leave you with this, because I'm going to put this at the top. This is such a great, a great quote. John Knox, remember it. Share this with people today as you go out. Great quote. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. I pray you are in Christ, and if you're not in Christ, that he speaks to you, and if you hear his voice, that you won't harden your heart to him, but rather you will surrender to him. And you will know the fullness of the resurrection and of the life in him. Guys, Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimrani. Talk to you then. See ya.